inside. Kempe dishes in front. Another sliding dead save by Flurry. This time to his right. Because one hour isn't enough. We welcome you back for hour number two of the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Here is a left wing opportunity. Lizana sliding dead save. Robin Leonard. What a stop. From the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas Studios and live at LBSportsNetwork.com with your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Hour number two on a Monday. Ryan Wallace, Brian McCormick, Chris Chapman getting you through the beginning of another week as we get closer, inch closer to the NHL expansion draft, the NHL entry draft. Soon the Seattle Kraken will have players, and that's going to be exciting. And then the Golden Knights will look to bring their their luck into the entry draft trying to get some more prospects into the pool to improve the golden knights continually as we know kelly mccrimmon george mcphee hockey operations always tries to do and then free agency will open and we've got the rest of the off season to get our rest but right now we bring in jesse granger with the athletic the athletic uh at a great piece on the NHL or the Golden Knights fan survey. What fans want to see from the Golden Knights, from the front office, their confidence in the way the organization is is going. Jesse, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you, Ryan? You know, I'm great. I, I, I think that this is an interesting period of time, right? Because there's so many questions going into the expansion draft are the golden knights going to be players in in trying to find uh steals players that they could utilize for their roster in a team that's maybe not looking to lose a player for nothing in the expansion draft what's your sense right now of of where the golden knights are going to be in terms of players as we get closer to the expansion draft yeah i mean i think just if you look at the history of George McPhee as a general manager and, and Kelly McCrimmon in his short time there, they, they try to use every inch that they possibly can, right? Like these guys, I mean, every general manager is doing it, but I feel like these two kind of take it to an extreme where they are. We saw it with the salary cap last year. We saw it with the expansion draft when Vegas was up. So to think that they're not going to try to use the expansion draft to their uh, advantage would be foolish. I think that they are definitely looking for a way but at the same time, I do think that they're a little handicapped. Um, they're a little stuck with this salary cap situation where there's not a lot that they can do. So I think um, that in combination with the fact that the market is kind of froze, we heard Kelly McCrimmon say after the season, um, he thinks the expansion is going to kind of freeze the market. And we did see a trade today with Duncan Keith, so it does look like the market may be picking up a little bit. But that frozen market doesn't allow the Golden Knights to unload salary to, to make space to possibly take advantage of the salary of the expansion draft. So I'm not sure there's a lot they can do there, but I, I do know that, I mean, they're, they're making the calls. They're seeing what they can do. Jesse, how much do you think the salary cap crunch that several teams find themselves in, and again, the, the weird financial uh, state for a lot of teams in the league after what was a, a year without fans, is there going to be perhaps some hope for teams to use the expansion draft to try to unload some salary? I'm sure they'd like that, but we saw how teams tried to sway what the Vegas Golden Knights would do during their expansion draft. I wonder, are there going to be cap games played by teams trying to get a little bit of relief from the expansion draft itself? Yeah, I would think so. Um, that was one thing. That was another thing McCrimmon said. Uh, I asked him how different he thinks this expansion is going to be from, from Vegas's, And his, the number one thing he said was, 
they, they've got a lot of leverage in Seattle based on the salary cap because salary cap space is more valuable now than it was then. And, and obviously that flat cap has a huge part in it. But I also think we talk a lot about the, the, the flat cap, and it's been at $81.5 million for two years now. And we talk about those teams that are pressed against the cap that, that, are, that can't spend any more money, and they were hoping to have more. But I also think the financial uncertainty of the league as a whole, like the revenues were cut because of the pandemic. And I think because of that, there are owners out there that not only the teams that are pressed against the cap, but I think teams that have cap space are also being told you can't take on salaries. And that's what makes this salary so valuable right now. Is like, it's not just those teams that are, that are pressed against it, like Tampa Bay and, and Vegas and Colorado. It's, it's teams that are, are nowhere near that $81.5 but their owner is telling them, we're not going above this amount because the, the profits just aren't there right now. And I think that makes it hard on teams like Vegas. Vegas is looking at those types of teams usually to say, hey, we'll give, you a, we'll give you a draft pick. You take on this salary. It helps us out. You guys get an asset out of it. Those types of trades that were usually, I think, easy to find are now suddenly not as easy because these teams with cap space aren't willing to spend it as much as they maybe used to be. So in terms of what the Golden Knights are looking to do this, like, what's your sense of what Kelly McCrimmon wants to do to improve this team in the offseason? Oh, man, I wish I had that answer. Um, (laughs) To be honest, I I think it's going to be a lot of small tweaks. I I, I asked, and you mentioned the survey, I asked, like, do you want major changes? Do you want small tweaks? I think it's more going to be working around the edges. Um, Alec Martinez, obviously, is domino number one. Um, I think that, and then, obviously, your decision of whether you want to do something with one of the goalies would be another one. But I think those are the first two real dominoes that have to fall. Because if Alec Martinez is coming back, that is essentially all of your salary cap space that you have right now. You may even have to make a little bit more cap space just to to fit Alec Martinez's new contract in. So that's the first decision. And then if you opt to not bring Martinez back, say you think Dylan Coghlan, he had a great season and he's been developing well. They liked what they saw out of him. Pete DeBoer seems to like him. If you say, you know what, I think he's ready to step in. I think Nick Hague and Zach Whitecloud are are ready to, to move further up the lineup. Then you can let Alec Martinez go, and now suddenly you've got five million cap space, and you can add a couple players depending on the size of their contracts there, and, and you can add around the edges. But I think the first real decision that though, that that front office has to make is on Alec Martinez because I think that that shapes the way the rest of the offseason is going to look. And Jesse, we're with Jesse Granger of the Athletic. What's interesting is when you listen to the post game or post season press conferences, it seemed like one area that they did want to attack. Uh, is the the power play and find some answers to that because although goals were hard to come by in the Montreal series, you don't want to overreact to that because you can bring in two players and they could have a rough week in the middle of May and it doesn't solve your problem. But it seemed like the power play was something that they want to attack. When the blue line is as productive as it has been, you look at the options on the free agent market, it's not a very deep center market, but there's a lot of winger options, but that's where a lot of the offense for the Golden Knights came from to begin with. So is it worth dipping into the the Tarasenko trade talks or, or uh, see if Mike Hoffman comes at a good price off a down year, or should they be trying to look at, at something else? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you that the power play should be the number one priority in terms of things you're going to fix, um, just because it, it, it wasn't a, a isolated to that Montreal series problem. It was a problem right. all year long, and, and it just kind of it cost them big there, but it was, it was an issue prior to that. And I think, to me, if I look at this roster, you, you look at the guys on the ice, they should be able to put together at least at, at a, a league average power play at the very worst based on the personnel. So to me, 
I think fixing the power play has more to do with the coaches and the system than it does the players. And I'm not saying fire the coaches. I'm saying the coaches are going to use this entire offseason to to figure this thing out and find a way to score. I think if you're going to add on the power play, to me, it like you said, the wings are pretty full right now. I mean, you've got four legitimate top six wingers. You've got Alex Tuck, who would be top six on most teams. And those guys are, are players that should be good in power play situations. They're good with the puck on their stick. So you'd want to add a center. Um, you mentioned the, the free agent center depth. Uh, this, this isn't a super deep free agency class at, at that position. Um, maybe they could look at the trade market. I honestly, to me, the power play is more about putting the players they already have in better positions. Jesse Granger with The Athletic is joining us as we talk through the Golden Knights, their offseason, and what we expect to happen between now, the expansion draft, and free agency. Now, Jesse, you talk about putting players in, in maybe a better position to succeed. What, what, do you, what are you looking for from the power play come next year, whether it be X's and O's tweaks or just different configuration of the personnel? What do you want to see out of the power play? I mean, to me, when I – so, like, I watch – hockey every night and when i watch good power plays the puck is moving through the center you've got to get passes through the heart of the penalty kill you can't just pass it around the outside because when you do that the next pass becomes incredibly predictable right like you get it to the guy on the half wall you know where he's going he's going out to the point where's the guy on the point going he's going across to the other point and then he's sending it down the half wall and it it makes it easy for the goalie to, to stay square to the puck it makes it easy for their defenders to stay in position then you watch tampa's power play and it's Every other pass is going through the center of that defense, and that's a difficult pass to make, and it often ends up getting intercepted. But I think when Pete DeBoer took over this team, I think that they shifted their mentality, and they're a little safer with the puck. They become more of a possession team, right? They, they, they emphasize possession. They favor the safer pass over trying to make the riskier pass that may lead to something. And I think on the power play, that, that mindset has kind of permeated to the power play, even if maybe they didn't want it to necessarily. I think when you play all game thinking every pass needs to be a safe pass so we can have possession, we got to keep the puck, I think that just without you even trying to kind of bleeds into your power play. Whereas I think when you've got a man up and you've got the type of talent the Golden Knights have out there, I want to see them make the riskier passes on the power play. Risk turning the puck over to get that one-timer through the heart of the power play, to get that guy in the slot that maybe has a guy right on him. So to me, I think I want to see more movement out of the players. They talked about that all year, and that's, that's an obvious key. But I think the thing that maybe hasn't been mentioned that I've thought of by just watching other successful power plays is to take more chances. Don't just go for the safe pass that the team sees coming the whole time, and, and we'll see if they can do that next year. Jesse, especially this time of year, it's so easy to think of team building like we're on the floor of the stock exchange, trade, sign. But part of the improvement for next year is also going to have to be players who are on the roster already taking the next step forward in their own development. Are there any particular candidates uh, you think that could make a difference on this team next year just by taking their own personal leap? Yeah, I mean, we saw a lot out of Zach Whitecloud this year in his first full season as an NHL player, and I think if they don't bring Alec Martinez back, which at this point it seems like both sides are hoping he comes back. But this is hockey. The salary cap's tough. Maybe he doesn't come back. I think if you don't bring Alec Martinez back, I see a huge jump in Zach Whitecloud in terms of the responsibility he's given. And I think based on everything we've seen out of him, both on the ice and just the person Zach Whitecloud, I think he's ready for that responsibility. So I think you could see a big jump out of him. Um, 
Peyton Krebs is a guy that you got to watch quite a bit, um, especially at the beginning of the season, and, and we got to see him with the Golden Knights uh, towards the end. He looked really good. I expect him to compete for a roster spot, and I expect him to be on the opening night lineup. Um, and, and he's a guy who you could see a lot of growth out of. Um, Alex Tuck's a guy that if they end up making a, a move to, to open up some cap, salary cap space, say they, say they do tweak their top six, they, they move a forward here or there to try to change things up. I think Alex, Alex Tuck is a guy who's ready for a top six role if he needs it. So there's definitely room for growth on the guys they have on the roster. Jesse Granger with The Athletic joining us here on the VGK Insider Show. And, Jesse, kind of on that point, uh, is this not a, a big off-season summer ahead of Cody Glass just to come into camp ready to earn his spot on this roster? Yes. I, it's, to me, it's do or die right now for Cody Glass in terms of you. he's got to show that he's ready to be a regular NHL player. Um, I think this organization has been very patient with not only him, but all their prospects. They, George McPhee loves the, the phrase. He likes to overcook them rather than undercook them. He, they, they take their time with them, and, and that's perfectly fine. And they, and they say that development is not a straight line, and that's also correct. But at the same time, going into this season, the age he's at, the amount of years he's had removed from his draft class, I think this is the time. Cody Glass needs to show that he's going to be an impact player for this team. And I think there's still plenty of, of possibilities that that happens. Um, as as maybe as negative as the as the narrative has been around him because he had a he had a poor season, but I, I do think that it can be there. I think he needs to to be faster. Um, I think his and when I say faster, I don't mean straight line speed. I mean like his first couple steps um, could be a little faster. I think he put on that weight last year and maybe that slowed those first couple steps down. But I think um, he can do that. And 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 if he can do that, suddenly he has room. We see him on the power play and and he looks so good when he has time and space. Well. Maybe he can create some time and space at five on five. If he can, if he can do that, I think we see the the hockey IQ, the the finding the passing lanes that he's so good at. I think we can see those things stick out at five on five. But yeah, I agree with you. This is this is the year. This is a huge summer for him. He needs to come in in the best shape he's ever been in, and he needs to show right off the bat. Force this team to keep you in the lineup. Don't make it a well, we'll keep him in if we can. We might have to send him down if there's cap space. Blah blah blah, like it was this year. You need to, you need to force the team to keep you on the ice. How much do you think the decisions, the moves, the impact made by the Vegas Golden Knights this offseason can be uh, attributed to what their division is going to look like this year? Because if the divisions go back to their traditional alignment, you're not battling against Colorado anymore or St. Louis. It, it, I'm not going to say it becomes an easier road, but perhaps less of a war of attrition to get to the postseason than what we saw this past year. Yeah, definitely. I just wrote a, a story basically saying that, that I, I think – this division is going to be easy. <laughs> you you might not want to say it. I'll say it. The division is going to be easy this year. You lose Colorado, the President's Trophy winner. You lose Minnesota, a team that was very good and is on the rise and is a team that has historically given the Golden Knights problems. You lose St. Louis, who's coming. They're only a year and a half removed from a Stanley or two years removed from a Stanley Cup championship, and you replace them with Vancouver, who finished last in the North, Calgary, who seems to be trending in the wrong direction, and Edmonton, who is a mess despite having some really good high-end talent. And then you kick out Arizona and replace them with Seattle, which maybe they're an instant contender the way the Golden Knights were, but maybe they're what every other expansion team has ever been in the history of the NHL. So it's going to be interesting to see what they are, but I still think regardless, this division is going to be much easier. And how that affects the offseason, I think it definitely can. We saw the Golden Knights the year before last year. They traded Eric Halla. 
Colin Miller, Nikita Gusev, and they opened up cap space and they didn't use it right away. They opted to save it and hold it. And then they had cap space when the deadline came. That cap space becomes even more valuable. It's suddenly $5 million. You can add $9 million because you're only adding those players for half of a season. They were able to add Alec Martinez and Robin Leonard. And you don't fit those players under your cap in free agency. It just doesn't fit. You have to wait until the, the trade deadline. So I think if you look at that division and you say, look, I think we can win this division even not at quite our very best. We don't have to maximize this roster at the beginning of the year. We could, we can win this division with the guys we have, and then that gives us the ability to add a superstar player at the deadline, a, a eight nine million dollar player that you would have no chance of adding um, in the off season. Obviously, that's a risk. Um, going into a season with less than than the optimized roster is a risk. But this front office has shown just two years ago, that they are willing to kind of try that strategy. And I think based on the Pacific Division this year, um, I think that it, it's a good opportunity for them to look at that again. Kind of along those lines, not just in terms of, of off-season acquisitions, but what about in-season and the ability to can, kind of shift some things around, try some new configurations with the lines, just to see if there's some sparks that you can find between some players that aren't necessarily used to playing with each other, or to give guys like Peyton Krebs and Cody Glass honest looks up the, up the lineup a bit to see if you can get something out of them. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, I think that's something that we've kind of – we haven't seen a lot out of this team. This team has, they've won a lot of regular season games. And I think that that's part of the goal. Like, I think that's part of the way they run things. And I know that sounds ridiculous. Like, well, of course the goal is to win a bunch of games, but I think this team puts emphasis on winning regular season games over trying things out and figuring things out during the regular season. Maybe after another impressive regular season, like they've had four years in a row and, and falling short of their goal, maybe they will shift their, their thought process, they will shift their, their emphasis maybe towards developing guys. I honestly don't know. The other thing about adding at the deadline that I didn't mention on the last question is the difference between adding in, at free agency right now in, in the next couple of weeks and adding at the deadline is at the deadline you have a much better idea of what your team needs, right? Because you've seen 50 games of your team playing and you can, you can maybe add something, whereas right now you're thinking, okay, they need a center. Well, maybe by the deadline, maybe – Peyton Krebs is incredible, and suddenly that center question is not there anymore. It's like y- your team looks different at the deadline than it does during the regular season. So I agree with you. you they, maybe they can try some things throughout the season, play with some things here and there, play some younger guys, maybe a Jack Dugan, a Lucas Elvinus, someone like that, see what you can get out of them, and then suddenly maybe your needs at the deadline aren't the same type of needs you have now, and you can, you can add somebody that, that can really help you. Along the prospect lines, we're talking to Jesse Granger of The Athletic. Jesse, looking at your article of the uh, the, the fan survey, uh, I was surprised, and you seem to be surprised, that the player, the prospect that fans seem most excited about, and it takes Peyton Krebs out of the equation because he's likely to make the roster, uh, most people would think, the prospect most fans are excited about is Logan Thompson, who I'm sure most of them wouldn't have been able to name a year ago. Uh, how much of that is the fact that Logan Thompson had an incredible year, um, but also perhaps the factor that the team is in Henderson right under their nose and maybe they just have a better grasp of what Logan Thompson did this year than they would have had he been in another time zone? 
Oh, I completely agree with you on that point. I will say the the, the just the overall attention to the prospects seemed much higher this year, um, which makes sense. They're not in Chicago. It's hard to find Wolves games. It's not as it's not nearly as hard to to watch a Henderson Silver Knights game if you want. So I think that helps a lot. And then obviously the incredible year Logan Thompson had. To me, it, it wasn't surprising that they that the fans are most excited about Logan Thompson because of Logan Thompson because that's obvious. He was awesome. He was the best goalie in the AHL as a rookie. He's young for that position. He's very young. Mm-hmm. To me, the reason it's weird is because they've got Mark Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard. Um, in that in the NHL, and it's like I don't understand. Like that was the part that surprised me was like of all the positions to be excited about a prospect, that position's pretty locked up and set right now. So so it, it doesn't appear Logan Thompson's going to have much of a chance to to play at the NHL level unless they make a move there. Um, but in terms of just the player himself, there's tons of reason to be excited about him. Um, especially a position like goalie, it's, it's hard to find a franchise guy. This team has two of them, and they may have a third one um, in the making with a kid that is one year into his, his AHL career, and he looks phenomenal. You know, it, it brings up the question, though, about goaltending going into this season. Obviously, you look at Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury, that, what that tandem was able to do last year in a truncated schedule, but the question becomes, uh, what do you do with both goaltenders going into this year? It it fashions to be a more regular 82-game season. Uh, you you kind of hear on locker cleanup day from Pete DeBoer, it's pretty clear kind of where he falls on, on the organizational philosophy that he has for the goaltenders. Um, you get information from Kelly McCrimmon, it seems that that might not be in this on the same page. So what do you expect to happen with both Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury? Do you expect them both to be Vegas Golden Knights next year? Yeah, it's 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 a tricky situation because I think like like you said, Pete DeBoer made it very clear he doesn't think that they need both goalies moving forward. He he can't flat out say that, but he came about as close as he can. So I think it's pretty clear where he stands on that. I think to be honest, I think everyone involved thinks, you know what? This salary cap would be better allocated if we just had one goalie and we could use that money elsewhere to to upgrade the depth forwards to upgrade another defenseman to upgrade another t- a, a top six center but they're in such a situation that it's, it's hard to pick like how do you move one of these goalies you've got mark andre Fleury, who was the best player on the team last season in any position he was the best player on the whole team he wins the vesna he helps you win the jennings he carried the team for half the year when robin leonard was out and he was excellent in the playoffs it's hard to move that guy especially when you're trying to compete for a Stanley Cup and you say, this guy was the best player on the team. How can, how can we trade the best player on the team while expecting to try to win a Stanley Cup? But then on the other side, it's like, I don't know if you can move Robin Leonard either because he's much younger than Marc-Andre Fleury. He's under contract for the next four years. He gives you stability at the position long term. I, I think it's a situation where everyone involved thinks, yeah, it'd probably be nicer if we moved a goalie. But then once you actually look into it and try to decide which one you're going to move and, and how it's going to work moving forward, it becomes much, much more difficult. So I don't expect them to move one. Um, having said that, will it shock me if they do? No, it wouldn't. But, but right now, I would, my guess is that both Robin Leonard and Mark Andre Swerdy are back next year. Jesse, usually we have our July 1st free agent frenzy. This year it's going to be July 28th. Now, every now and then we see all the big fish are gone by 12.01 Eastern. Sometimes they go fishing and they tell us three weeks later where they're going. But this summer, uh, with this shortened off season, and as you mentioned earlier, there, there might not be as much money out there as there ordinarily would be, 
do you think this is going to be a quicker free agent season where, where players want to sign on the dotted line and get their, their money confirmed? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I, I and, and because of that, I think that players are maybe not going to want to hang around and wait. I think we saw some players last offseason hang around and wait, like Eric Halla comes to mind just because I was following him because I thought he may end up here. So I was really following him. He waited a long time before he signed. Mike and Hoffman, he didn't too. Get a, he didn't get a yeah, Mike Hoffman, another perfect example. Yeah. And and neither of them got deals that they were probably happy with. So um and, and that's because the money there just isn't as much money to go around. So if, if I'm a player, I'm trying to be one of the first guys signed. Um and I think that their agents are probably gonna be thinking the same way. So Jesse, on this fan survey, I, I just have one question. Why no love for the gold helmets? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I, to be honest, they twenty eight point nine percent voted that they loved the gold helmets. That's higher than I was expecting based off of my Twitter oh, uh, mentions. I love the gold helmets, and the fact that so many people don't like them makes me love them even more. So I voice <laughs> I voice my um, happiness with the chrome gold helmets quite a bit on Twitter, and the response is overwhelmingly negative um a lot more than 71.1 percent which is what uh the, the negative vote on that poll and the thing so i think athletic subscribers uh actually like the gold helmets more than the average public despite it still being a uh, three to one vote jesse what's your uh what's your off-season outlook uh look like or when are you taking a break where can people find your stuff how much longer are you going to be pumping out content before you take a little bit of time off yeah, uh, pretty much through that 28th, uh, July 28th, we've got uh, the expansion draft coming up here in two weeks. I am uh, working with Ryan Clark on some interesting stuff. He's our writer for the Seattle Kraken up there. He's already working before they even have a player. Um, I am doing some stuff on looking back at the Golden Knights expansion. I'm, I'm really really excited about the expansion stuff we're working on over the next couple weeks. Um, and then, obviously, I'm going to have some free agent stuff, try to project some guys. I'm currently in the process of – Finding the cheapest free agents with the best, with the most effective uh, power play analytics. So people can look forward to that. And uh, yeah, just a bunch of content until July 28th. Once the free agents are signed, I'm out of here. I'm going to San Diego to watch some horse races. <laughs> All right, Jesse. We'll call uh, you, you then, take too. Care. Thanks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> thanks for having me. All right, thanks a lot, Jesse. That is Jesse Granger with The Athletic. Does a great job covering the Golden Knights. And, you know, it's an interesting one, Brian, in, in that we were talking about kind of fairly assessing teams, whether they go on to win the Stanley Cup, whether uh, they they fall short. But for me, in terms of the Golden Knights, this offseason is really one that I'm interested in the prospects and making the next step, that next jump uh, to becoming a either a better NHL player in, in the case of Zach Whitecloud, Dylan Coughlin, and, and you know, even Cody Glass. And, yeah. and then Peyton Krebs kind of making that jump to be an NHL full-time regular. And, and, you know, we're now four years into VGK hockey, enough time to have gotten draft picks, developed them. It's time to you want to start seeing fruit grow from that tree. And, you know, Cody Glass, who had uh, injuries and procedures that have, have slowed him down a little bit, this is – he said when he left uh, at the end of the spring, he said, this is going to be my first real offseason in a while. I'm looking forward to, you know, putting the work in and making this a, an improvement offseason where he comes in raring to go and ready to fight for a job. So as much fun as it is to, uh, to think about the free agency and, and the draft upcoming and everything that – uh, can happen on the open market. There is a lot to be said for what the VGK can can harvest from their own crop, uh, and there's a lot of players who are, are I think are going to be in the mix to uh, to prove themselves in training camp.
One-timers coming up next on the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, Fox Sports Las Vegas. Brought to the near wing. Big shot and he scores! It's time for one-timers. Quick looks at some of the biggest stories of the day. And it's a tie hockey game. On the VGK Insider Show. Keys to the castle. I am finally in charge of one-timers. I have been waiting for this day for a long, long time. I could not be more excited for Darren Millard to go to Tokyo because that means I get to take control of one-timers. And how amazing is it that when I take control of one-timers, Pierre, no, nay, Regis Pierre Maguire is in the news. He is headlines to start the day. Pierre Maguire signs on as the senior vice president of player development with the Ottawa Senators. Who had that on their bingo card this morning? Because they're excited, gets me excited, gets all of our fans <laughs> excited, and our sponsors. Out of this world drop, Chapman. What, where, what's your take on this, Brian? You know, I, I'm interested because it's his first uh, his first job in a capacity like this since he was uh, assistant GM in Hartford in '94. So, uh, you know, he's always had strong opinions about uh, analytics, place in the game. I guess we're gonna get an up close uh, look of what uh, for the player development side, what his uh, philosophy is. I'm, you know, I think I, I hope they let him announce the draft pick. Is what I hope because he gives the <laughs> player biographies in game, and here it's gonna actually be really applicable. It's like the Ottawa Senators are proud to select. A fine, upstanding man from the program in Kingston, Ontario, but from the midget program of the Markham Waxers, has legs like tree trunks. I, I, I just and they'll like have the Oscar music to play him off. I, I'm kind of excited to see uh, Pierre Maguire in his his player biographical best. So I'm kind of with you, like in terms of the draft. If Pierre Maguire isn't the one announcing the draft picks, that's a failure it's a right off the bat. And I think it's an old. I think it's I think it's an omen, right, of of what's to come with the Ottawa Senators. But like, I guess the biggest question for me is Pierre Maguire player development. He hasn't really been in a front office in a long, long time. Like, how confident are you that he's going to be able to understand the in- intricacies of overseeing? how players develop in today's NHL. You know, I guess we're not really going to know. We have to take Ottawa's word for it and uh, and Pierre Dorian. It's, you know, it's he's certainly tapped into prospects doing the World Juniors and he does draft coverage every year. Like, he, he reads up on these players, but there's a difference between knowing how to develop them and just knowing about how they develop. Uh, we're going to find out. We don't really have a lot of source material here. I, I'm a little disappointed because I was hoping that <laughs> I just wanted to see how Pierre Maguire, if he wasn't going to be on TV and if something like this didn't come up, like how he would gonna function like in the real world. Like I, I just assumed he'd be the same person, but just in social <laughs> situations. Like I picture Austin Matthews is out at the bar and just like meets a nice young lady and says, hey, where are you from? And then Pierre Maguire just jumps out of the nearby bushes. And, she comes with the McDougal family from Bismarck, North Dakota. Fine, upstanding young family. Look at the legs on her, Edzo. I bet you had legs like that when you were playing. And Eddie Olchek is nowhere in sight. That's kind of just what I figured it would be like, but we're not going to know now. So. Oh, man. I would actually pay money to see a <laughs> Pierre Maguire in the wild show. Just Pierre in in random situations, following around NHL players in their day-to-day life, jumping in and reading their biography at important moments. Like, I would love to see that happen. You know what? I think we should pitch that. We should get on the line with Pierre and say, hey, shouldn't you just do this instead? 
just a, a travel channel show. Like, what's what's Pierre Maguire doing in the White House press briefing? Don't know, but let's listen in. Uh, maybe maybe <laughs> someday. Fantastic. Maybe someday. <laughs> now, I I know the question was asked of uh, Pierre Dorian earlier today at, at the availability of whether or not there's concern that the replacement or or the next guy was hired today in Pierre Maguire. Do you do you feel like Pierre Dorian should be concerned at all? We're a team? I don't think so, but but also, you know, we should remind ourselves that as much as we're having fun with this, I, I actually I, I like Pierre yeah. Maguire on TV. I find him entertaining. But it's <laughs> this isn't the first time he's come up in these kinds of management conversations with other teams in recent years. So there are people who who think that this is the exact kind of role he should have. Having said that, I guess we'll find out how much of an, an advisor role he has or how much we're hearing from Pierre Maguire on Senators' prospects throughout the season. If we see him in the newspapers all the time, then maybe Pierre Dorian will be a little <laughs> bit worried. If we don't, then it's probably out of sight, out of mind. So this is a serious question, and it's the last one on Pierre Maguire. Who's having a Aww. better day, Pierre Maguire or the Tampa Bay Lightning? Uh, I mean, I don't know if Pierre Maguire has has had a few too many and dented any valuables in his home. They might be on even, <laughs> they might be on even level. Uh, I would say that the uh, the Tampa Bay the Tampa Bay Lightning are being showered by the praise of hundreds and thousands of strangers, whereas the the Twitter feed I've watched on Pierre Maguire, most people are being kind of unkind about the fact that they'll never see him on TV again. So probably a better day for the Tampa Bay Lightning, but that's where Pierre Maguire gets to have the last laugh at his own parade a year from now. Am I pre predicting a 2022 <laughs> Ottawa Senators Stanley Cup? I just might be. Oh, come on. Come clip, on. You don't clip really that, mean chap. that, do you? No, absolutely not. You, you know no. what? Oh, no, 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 no. Hold on. Don't don't use that part, but do clip the part where he predicts, where Brian predicts a 2022 Stanley Cup championship for the Ottawa Senators. I don't know. I'm, if Pierre Maguire can get it done, who I'm knows? just saying Pierre Maguire does a really good job of finding himself on TV in the strangest of circumstances all the time. And if he wants to be on TV during next year's Stanley Cup parade, he'll find a way to make it happen. There it is. Pierre Maguire is going to win the Stanley Cup with the Ottawa Senators. You heard it first from Brian McCormick. As the so senior the VP of player Lightning. development. I'd just like you to be <laughs> right about it. Still still has a nice ring to it. Pierre yeah. Maguire winning the Stanley Cup. So, okay, Tampa Bay, they celebrate their Stanley Cup championship today with a parade in the Bay. Of course, Nikita Kucherov was having a very, very good time. Andre Vasilevsky wore the Conn Smythe trophy as a helmet, but the Tampa Bay Lightning dented the bowl of the Stanley Cup. Is anyone upset about that? I, I think, and, and you know, hopefully over the next couple of days we'll have a chance we can expand on this a little bit, do a bit of a history lesson. The, the Stanley Cup has been through more abuse than any other iconic, you know, I, I think the Stanley Cup has been dropped more times than I was as a child. And it's, it's <laughs> they, they can always correct it, they can always fix it. I'm just laughing. Remember how it was a couple months ago, everyone freaked out, Tom Brady throwing the Super Bowl trophy? Now, granted, he threw it over open yeah. water, but everyone was like, what if you dropped it? Meanwhile, they're playing Foursquare with the Stanley Cup. Like, it's <laughs> it's it's one of those things, oh, it's made to be broken, we'll fix it after. It's uh, I'm not at all surprised because, as we can hopefully go into in the next 48 hours, it is far from the first time that it's taken some damage. You know, I, I do want to get your thoughts and opinions really quick on Nikita Kucherov because he's clearly living his best life since winning back-to-back -back Stanley Cups. Uh, Kucherov, his press conference after winning the Stanley Cup, your your take on Nikita Kucherov 
and his comments uh, about Marc-Andre Fleury and about the Montreal Canadiens and their fans. Yeah, it was blunt. It was <laughs> it was definitely uh, <laughs> the, the, fil the filter was removed, the filter and his shirt. Um, you, you know what, though? <laughs> I have no problem with a player saying exactly what he means. We always ask for it, and then when we get it, we actually we, we try to scandalize it. Uh, it was certainly not uh, – it was it was bulletin board material for a lot of people going forward. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury won his Vezina, no question. I don't think there's anyone who uh, who doesn't think that Andre Vasilevsky at his best uh, isn't right up there for best goaltender in the world. He's proven that again and again, but – uh, you know, Nikita Kucherov won a Stanley Cup, and when you win the Stanley Cup, you get to say what you want. He did, and uh, it's bulletin board material for everyone else going forward. You know, news on Nikita Kucherov coming out that he sustained a fractured rib in Game 6 of the Stanley Cup yeah. semifinal against the New York Islanders due to a cross-check. So he played Game 7 and the entire Cup final with the injury. Um, you know, you looked at kind of the, the players that scored in the last couple of games for Tampa, and it was all depth. You didn't see a lot from Kucherov, though he was still making plays just a little snake bit. But do you, you, do you view Nikita Kucherov uh, a little bit differently, understanding what injury he was playing through? You know, not really, because he, he led the playoffs in scoring still. It's, yeah. It's it's less that and more confirmation of the fact that these guys will play through anything. I think it was during – Boston's Cup year, it might be a little bit after that. Patrice Bergeron it yeah. was re revealed after. He basically had the injuries of a car accident. Uh, and as much yes. as we don't have the overall brute Scott Stevens-like toughness in the game as prevalently as we used to, there's still an element of toughness where these guys can suck it up and, and grin and bear it and, and get through it uh, to win a ring. It's, it's worth that much to them. And probably even more so because for the Tampa Bay Lightning, they had a chance. They won the Cup last year, of course, but this... This was a more authentic cup experience in terms of having the, the fans and the adulation and, and the real once-in-a-lifetime feel of winning a cup the right way. So uh, it, it, I have respect for Nikita Kucherov. It doesn't, he was already one of the best players in the world. Now I know he's tougher than he looks, uh, and, and he's probably not the only guy going through afflictions like that, but hats off to him for getting the job done. And, and amazingly so enough, I think, it was, I think it was Scott Mayfield who cross-checked him. You go back and say, well, there was no penalty assessed and there was no supplementary discipline, and he had a, a broken rib. If that came out at the time, maybe that's ruled on differently. Yeah, you're 100% right there, and that's also news coming out of the GM meetings today that there is hoping to be a, a tighter crackdown or at least more cross-checking uh, called in the playoffs, in the regular season. It's, it's dangerous in terms of what those types of repeated cross-checks can do during the course of the regular season, during the course of a, of a playoff series, and it's certainly something that needs to be addressed with officials. A little bit more news coming out of Tampa Bay. Victor Hedman playing through a knee injury that will require surgery this offseason, reports Lightning insider Eric Erlinson. Hedman, however, is expected to be ready for training camp. Hmm. It certainly set Twitter ablaze because... Everyone just assumed that since Tampa had Nikita Kucherov on LTIR, maybe you go that route with Victor Hedman and try to keep the band back together. You know, it's. I, th I think Victor Hedman, as David Savard's a free agent now. I don't know if Tampa tries to bring him back again. They're in a, a heavy crunch, but he was great for them in the playoffs. But, you know, as yeah. good as their blue line is, Victor Hedman's not really replaceable. I think they have enough scoring up front that without Nikita Kucherov, they knew they could at least get into the playoffs, get him back and be in good shape. 
I don't think you want to risk having Victor Hedman gone long-term, especially in a full 82-game season. But, uh, you know, it, it's worth realizing, too, for teams that went the distance or played into the final month of the postseason, you know, for, for those guys who have a little bit of tweaking or cleanup procedures that they need done, there's a much shorter offseason for them to turn it around uh, and be ready for opening day. So uh, impressive that Victor Hedman expects to be ready for training camp. Last note there on the Tampa Bay Lightning, Anthony Sorelli also playing through a wrist injury that will require surgery in the offseason. No prognosis or timeline in terms of when he may be back for Tampa if he'll be ready for training camp. Last thing for me here in terms of one-timers, which shirt was better for the Tampa Bay Lightning in their cup parade? Was it Nikita Kucherov's number one bs or was it their 18 million dollar over the cap t-shirt which one was better oh i think it's the 18 million over the cap because <laughs> you always go with what annoys everyone most right that's why you're you're wearing it you're wearing it to thumb your nose at everybody and that's certainly the, the hot button issue for everyone uh not to mention they've already acknowledged the fact that with their cap situation they're probably not going to be all together uh, again next year. So if it's your last hurrah together, you might as well celebrate the figure that allowed you to do it one more time. So, uh, yeah, de definitely <laughs> def definitely uh, calling it out exactly for what it is, the $18 million over the cap. Worthy, so, worthy as much of a, a, a spot on the Stanley Cup as all the players whose names will be on there. I would love to get $18 million over the cap engraved on the Stanley Cup. I think that'd be fantastic. I'm with you. I like $18 million over the cap. If you're going to lean into it, lean in hard, and the Own Tampa it. Bay Lightning have done <laughs> that. But I'll tell you right now, if anyone's looking to get me a present, both of those shirts would look fantastic on me, and I'm not going to lie. I'd love to rock them both. Those are your one-timers for Monday, July 12th, because I know the date. We're back with Catching Up with Chapman next on the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, Fox Sports Las Vegas. We're back to the Findlay Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studios. This is the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Here's Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Wrapping it up here on a Monday, VGK Insider Show. A lot of fun. Thanks to Jesse Granger for stopping by. Thanks to Brian McCormick for sitting in two hours. It's my guest host he'll be with us again tomorrow and wednesday real quick before we get to catching up with chapman i did get a tweet about the dent in the stanley cup this is from donald moore there should be suspensions for a game or two for this behavior let's be real it belittles the cup and all it has stood for in the 100 plus years hey fun you have no place here <laughs> was I that part of the tweet <laughs> No, no, no. That's oh, that's me. Okay. I, that's, I, my, I, that's my analysis of it. I appreciate the, the the sentiment. I don't want the Stanley Cup abused. That's not what we're saying at all. What I, I think you may not be realized, though, is that the Stanley Cup has been through a lot. And, for example, legend has, I think it was the 94 Rangers, I think, returned it at the end of the summer in three pieces. It, it can be repaired. It will be repaired. But, you know, the Stanley Cup has, to my knowledge, might just be, it might be more than that, but at least two misspellings. I think the 1980-81 or 81-82 Islanders, it's spelled like I-L-S-A-N-D-E-R. Like, there are misspellings on the cup. So, the point is, uh, I think the scars are part of, what, part of what makes it the Stanley Cup. But, uh, point taken. Not allowed to have fun. Frowned upon. No more lacrosse goals. They're too fun. <laughs> 
All I know is that if I was the one who dented the Stanley Cup, I would be afraid to bring it back to Phil Pritchard. I would, I would be, it would be like if I knocked over my mother's flower vase and had to bring her the evidence. But you blame it on, <laughs> blame it on the little brother. <laughs> who is that in this case? Oh, well, who's who's the youngest person on the team? Foot. He did it. Done. <laughs> yep. Well, I'm the new guy on the show this week, I suppose. Ah, so I guess see, it would so, be my so fault. yeah, we, we blame you. I accept that that Silver Knights guy. It's all his fault. <laughs> Is Ryan gone? I think he might be. I think he just decided to let us take over. Yeah, I think we may have lost Ryan. Well, that's all right. We only got 30 seconds he, left. He dented the cup, and he took that's off with it. That's exactly and what it here is. here yeah. I am, red-handed, standing yep. with the, uh, the evidence. All right. <laughs> well, it looks. I think we have lost Ryan, so here we are. I will grab the controls and land this plane. Uh, Chris, anything you'd like to add, or can you want to carry it over till uh, tomorrow? No, we can carry it over tomorrow. We want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, Fox Sports Las Vegas, and Brian and Ryan. Back tomorrow. Talk to you then. Have a good one. Thank you, Chris.